Ezekiel chapter 22. And no, I'm not going backwards. I, uh, I left it out last week. So I got ahead of myself and I went to chapter 23. And Brother Ray had to remind me, hey, uh, you know, we are going in numerical order, right? And so, yeah, uh, so I missed chapter 22. So we're going through it now. Next time we'll be in chapter 24. So got to keep me on my toes these days, okay? Chapter 22, the sins of Jerusalem. The sins of Jerusalem. David captured the fortress in Jerusalem, and he made Jerusalem his capital, where the royal throne and the holy altar were, because God put his sanctuary in Zion. The psalmist said in Psalm 132, 13, for the Lord has chosen Zion, and he has desired it for his habitation. In Psalm 48, the Jews were proud of Mount Zion. Psalm 87 says the Lord loved that place more than any other place. But now, the city of Jerusalem and the temple were going to be invaded by unclean Gentiles. But they were brought there by the Lord. So why would God do that? Why would he destroy his own city and temple that he loved so much? Well, it's because his people had sinned. And they had broken the covenant that they had made with him. And they were beyond help. Ezekiel described the true character of the beautiful city and named some of the sins that the people in Jerusalem were committing, even while he spoke. Ezekiel had exposed the past sins of the nation, but now he brought Jerusalem into the courtroom and brought the record up to date. Now, there are four parts in this chapter. The first part, verses 1 through 5, God says that he knows their sins. In verses 6 through 12, we have the second part, specific sins are named. And in the third part, verses 13 through 22, God promises that these sins will be judged. And then the fourth part, the total breakdown of society is described in verses 23 through 31. So let's begin in chapter 22 with verses 1 through 5 with God's declaration. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Now, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Yes, show her all her abominations. And then say, thus says the Lord God, the city sheds blood in her own midst that her time may come. And she makes idols within herself to defile herself. You have become guilty by the blood which you have shed and have defiled yourself with the idols which you have made. You have caused your days to draw near and have come to the end of your years. Therefore, I have made you a reproach to the nations and a mockery to all countries. Notice that Ezekiel calls Jerusalem the bloody city. This was the new charge against Jerusalem. It was different from the charges made in chapter 20. Chapter 22 gives a list of specific crimes that Jerusalem and Judah were guilty of. And this list of crimes falls into two groups social injustices, and spiritual apostasies. And the sins listed are like those mentioned in Leviticus chapters 17 through 26. And these Levitical laws were, very, uh, were everyday standards of holy living stated in the Ten Commandments. Both moral and religious sins were reviewed to show the dislike that they had for the law. So God was going to show it to them. To show them, here's, here's the disregard that you have for me and my law. 
The first two sins mentioned included bloodshed. Bloodshed idolatry. These two were tied together to remind the people of the close relationship between violence and idolatry. Bloodshed, again, caused because of idolatry. Those who worshipped false gods in Israel and Judah had also participated in human sacrifices. Ignoring God's law led to a, a significant rise in violent crimes. And that's why Jerusalem was called the bloody city. Because of its wickedness. Because of its wicked, violent reputation, nations near and far to Jerusalem, you know, they were, they were a mockery to them. The words in verse 5, infamous and full of tumult or confusion, can be translated as, O defiled of the name, abounding in tumult. Again, because of its wicked and violent reputation. This literal translation, O defiled of the name, abounding in tumult, shows the ungodly, violent reputation of Jerusalem. They defiled the name, which was a substitute for the personal name of God, Yahweh, which represented his holy nature and his character. Those who receive more light, that is, those who receive more knowledge, like Judah and Jerusalem did, would also be held more accountable because of the more light that they received, the more knowledge that they had, because of all that they knew and that they failed to follow it or share it. You know, one day, uh, again, we are all going to be accountable for what we know about the Word of God, what we did with it or what we didn't do with it. God knows about specific sins, and He's going to hold all, and He holds all people responsible for repentance and faith. Now, verses 6 through 12, the sins are listed in verses 6 through 12. He says, look, the princes of Israel, each one has used his power to shed blood in you. In you they have made light of father and mother. In your midst they have oppressed the stranger. In you they have mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. In you are men who slander to cause, to cause bloodshed. In you are those who eat on the mountains. In your midst they commit lewdness. In you men uncover their father's nakedness. In you they violate women who are set apart during their impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. And another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. In you they take bribes to shed blood. You take usury and increase. You have made profit from your neighbors by extortion and have forgotten me, says the Lord God. So in verses 6 through 12 now, Ezekiel named some of the sins that the people were committing. And he started with the abuse of the people and parents and strangers and aliens and orphans and widows in verse 7. The Jews were commanded to honor their fathers and their mothers. And you know what? So are believers today. We just saw that in Ephesians chapter 6. God even attached a special promise to this commandment about honoring your father and mother. He said that your days may be long upon the land. That is, things will go well for you. They'll go well for you, and you'll have a long life on the earth. <clears throat> and now the Jews, they were about to be exiled into their, uh, from their land. The law also gave special attention to widows and orphans and aliens or strangers. And this commandment came with a warning. 
God said, if these needy people were abused, the Jewish wives would become widows. The Jewish children would become orphans. You see, disobedience to God is a serious thing. The church today has a ministry obligation to strangers, to widows, and to orphans. And after dealing with this, kind, this unkindness of the people in Jerusalem, God condemned their idolatry in verse 8. They defiled the temple, he says, with, with, their, with their idols in chapter 8, verse 5. And by worshiping God hypocritically and not worshiping with clean hands and obedient hearts. Jeremiah told them that they had turned God's house into a den of thieves in Jeremiah 7, 11. A place where robbers could come and hide after they've broken the law. The Jews also polluted the Sabbath by treating it like any other day, according to verse 8. Now, the Sabbath was a special sign between God and Israel that they were his people. And to break this law was to rebel against the Lord's uh, authority and to deny Israel's calling and ministry in the world. Israel was to be a witness to the nations, a witness, a light to the goodness of God. But how could the people, God's people, continue committing these sins and not be judged? You know, it's the same thing with this nation, the United States. To commit the sins that this nation commits and not be judged, we'll, we'll be judged. Because one day, because today courts run by wicked men, and in, and in God's time, and in Ezekiel's time, they had no desire to take care of the innocent or punish the guilty. The rich were set free. I mean, it sounds a lot like today, the court system. The victims, man, they don't, they don't get, you know, they're not treated fairly. Now, the criminal, they're getting all the breaks. You know, the rich were set free. The poor were taken advantage of. People accepted bribes, and they agreed to slander innocent people, forgetting that the law prohibited slander and, a, and fault witnesses, false witnesses. According to the law of God, if somebody was accused of a capital crime, you needed at least two witnesses to testify. And these witnesses would be the first to cast stones at the convicted guilty party. Churches are torn apart by slander and false witness. Even though New, the New Testament clearly teaches about integrity when it comes to bearing witness. You know, it's a sobering thought that liars, think about this, that liars, like murderers, will have a place in hell, the lake of fire. And they won't, they won't enter the, the, the heavenly city. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8 and 27. Now here in verses 9b and verse 11, God focused on the immorality of the Jewish people. And he started with their taking part in the disgusting, filthy worship at the pagan shrines. The sad part about these idolatrous men is that they brought their immorality home with them. It says here that sons had intercourse with their own mothers or stepmothers. It says here fathers with daughters-in-law and brothers with sisters or half-sisters. Men were committing adultery with a neighbor's wife. Or it says here with women having their monthly period. 
It's so easy for us today to point our finger at them and go, man, what a bunch of creeps. It's easy to point the finger and judge God's ancient people, but what about God's people today? Sexual sins in the church and in Christian homes have ripped churches apart and ripped families apart, and many churches just closed their eyes to these sins. Internet pornography, it's a common thing today. And it's becoming more and more daring on television. Unmarried people living together. Oh, trial marriages, we got to see if it's going to work out. Homosexual marriages. They've shown up in evangelical churches. And when the preachers preach against it, or they, they, they've tried to deal with kind of, this kind of sin, they're told to mind their own business. You know, or where, where's, where's your love? And then the wrongdoer would just leave. And he'd church hop. And I saw, I've seen this over the years. They'll find a church that allowed that kind of sinful behavior where they could go and sit comfortably and just blend in and live their lives as they please. No accountability. The love of money is also is, is a root of all kinds of evil. So, you know, it's not surprising that the business people in Jerusalem were charging high interest on loans. That's what is meant here by usury. Usury for gain. They charged high loan, interest loans and they were you know, ripping off the people. They were practicing, uh, practicing extortion rather than conducting honest business, according to verse 12. And lastly, the next sin mentioned summed up all of the previous sins. And it gives us the reason for all sin. The people have forgotten God, verse 12 says. Even though forgetting God precedes all sin, here it's, lasted, it's listed last. The reason is that it's the total of everything that's wrong. Ezekiel joined Jeremiah and Hosea in condemning the lack of concern for God's will on an individual basis. The individual immorality had left and, and they were under the sentence of judgment. The sins mentioned here, now, now these sins aren't a complete list. They don't represent a complete list, but they're the kind of offenses that made God's judgment a necessity. And the Bible is very specific about the nature and the identity of sin. Paul said these are the works of the flesh, like those that are presented in Galatians 5, 19-21, where they were contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit. Then the third part of the, of the chapter, verses 13-22, through 22, is the promise of judgment. Look at verse 13 now through 22. Behold, therefore... I beat my fists at the dishonest profit which you have made and at the bloodshed which has been in your midst. Can your heart endure or can your hands uh, remain strong in the days when I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. I will scatter you among the nations, disperse you throughout the countries and remove your filthiness completely from you. You shall defile yourself in the sight of the nations and then you shall know that I am the Lord." The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. They are all bronze, tin, iron, and lead in the midst of a furnace. They have become dross from silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem, 
As men gather silver, bronze, iron, lead, and tin into the midst of a furnace to blow fire on it, to melt it, so I will gather you in my anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. Yes, I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in its midst. As silver is melted in the midst of a furnace, so shall you be melted in its midst, and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury upon you. It says here, God strikes his hands together in angry reaction to the sins of the people. And he tells them, the day of judgment is coming. The people of Jerusalem were determined to continue in their sins, even though God had warned them. But would they have the willpower and would they have the perseverance to survive God's judgment, the day of judgment? The first thing God said he would do in his judgment in verses 13 through 16, he would scatter the people. The people would be exiled to Babylon. Others would be scattered to the surrounding nations according to 15 and 16, some which had already, of that had already taken place. The people should have known that this judgment was coming because of his covenant that he had made with them. God had promised this kind of judgment if they didn't keep the covenant. The Jewish people wanted to worship the gods of the Gentiles. So why not live with the Gentiles? Learn how to do it. But God would humiliate his people in front of the Gentiles. And through this experience, he would bring his people back to himself. The second judgment would be fire, according to verses 17 through 22. The destruction of the city and the temple that they loved so much would be destroyed. Ezekiel pictured a smelting furnace with different kinds of metals in it and the dross or the impurities would be removed. That dross represented the people of Jerusalem. The impurities represented the people of Jerusalem who thought they were the best because they hadn't gone into into exile. Now, the image of the furnace is, is often used in the scripture. Israel's suffering in Egypt was a furnace experience. But it helped to form that nation and prepare them for the exodus. But now, God's furnace was Jerusalem. And the fire would be God's judgment for sins, the sins of the people. Two key words in this passage are gather in verse 19 and melt in verse 20. The people had, <clears throat> the people had gathered in Jerusalem for safety. But it was the Lord who gathered them there so that he could melt them in his furnace of affliction as he poured out his fury upon them. It's the same image that we will discuss in chapter 24. Then in verses 23 through 31, it covers society's disintegration. These verses describe the sad and total disintegration of every area of leadership. That, that, that leadership should have given moral and spiritual guidance to Judah. But if they failed to do that. And their failure in these areas made judgment, hey, unavoidable. It had to come. And nobody escaped the charges for responsibility of the moral and spiritual failure of the nation. And Ezekiel charged five specific groups of people that included all sections of society. And he spelled out why. He spelled out the reasons for the breakdown of leadership in Judah. 
He begins, notice, uh, in verses 23 through 25 with the princes. Look at verse 23 through 25. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. The princes, these were the upper class, the ruling class of Judah. And these members of the royal house were responsible for, for ensuring law and order. But instead, they promoted murder and robbery and greed and lawlessness. These guys were only interested in personal gain. They weren't concerned about the consequences that fell on the nation or in the individuals. Then he accuses the priests. Notice in verse 26. He says, her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I profaned, so that I am profaned among them. These men, the priests, they were responsible for instruction, giving instruction in the law and guarding the holiness and the purity of the temple. They were to make a clear separation between the holy and the profane, the clean and the unclean, and they failed to do that. Instead, the priests broke God's laws. They blurred the line between the holy and the profane, and they closed their eyes when it came to breaking the Sabbath. Verse 27, God speaks to the government officials. Look at verse 27. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get honest, a dishonest gain. These princes, these leaders refer to those appointed government officials rather than nobility there in verse 25. These officials were compared to wolves attacking and tearing their prey. They were supposed to serve the people. Instead, they made the people their victims. Verse 28, God speaks now to the false prophets. Verse 28. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. Now, these spokesmen were to serve as the moral and spiritual you know, mind or the conscience of the nation. But instead of preaching against sin, they gave false prophecies. They, they used lying divinations, sorcery. They whitewashed sin in general. And in the face of the coming destruction of Jerusalem and the fall of Judah, they continued to preach peace and safety. God said judgment was coming. And yet the false prophets, they preached safety and peace. Ezekiel's accusation here, his charge was consistent with his earlier description of the false prophets and prophetesses in chapter 13. Now, untempered mortar mentioned here. Untempered mortar probably refers to mortar made with, with, with clay instead of slaked lime. Now, in, 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 uh, in the inside of Palestine and Syria's walls, they, they were... They're still commonly built today of stones or mud bricks and then smeared over with clay mortar. The surface is rubbed smooth. It looks nice in appearance. It just covers up 
the weakness of the wall. This coating prolongs the life of the wall, but it requires attention every year. Okay, it, it requires the, the attention uh, to be taken care of so that the wall still stands. So Ezekiel uses the picture here, or the practice, of using untempered mortar to represent the work of false prophet. It covers the weakness of the wall. And so, again, the, the, the work of the false prophet, you know, it, it was weak. They made up stories. And they made them believable by an outward appearance of truth. But in truth, reality, they were flimsy, the false prophets were unreliable. They, they spoke unreliable word. They, and so they were resembling the walls described above, which were covered with untempered mortar. They looked good, but under the covering of the mortar, they were weak, flimsy, which, can be which could be broken down just by a push or a heavy rainstorm. Verse 29, he talks to the people of the land. Look at verse 29. The people of the land have used oppressions. They've committed robbery and mistreated the poor and needy. And they wrongfully oppress the stranger. What kind of people would this, would this kind of leadership produce? Now, it's not surprising that these people were extortioners. They were robbers. They oppressed. They corrupted. And they were corruptors of justice. The society was just a spectacle of violence, greed, and a lack of concern for those that are suffering. And they had an all-around neglect of God's word. There was no discipline in the homes. Moral and sexual perversions and wrongdoing was an everyday thing, according to verses 9 through 11. Crime and just a general lack of moral restraint was a common thing. So, you know, when you look at this list of crimes that so completely overtook society in Ezekiel's day, you can't look at this and see what's going on here and say, hey, man, that sounds a lot like what's happening in the United States today. The latter years of our century, and they've been celebrated, they've been praised by so-called wokeism, progressiveness. They've been celebrated by depravity and moral perversion and spiritual decay. No integrity, violence, and injustice. This was the society in Ezekiel's day. That's the society in our day. These things typified what Ezekiel must have seen. Such a situation, such a condition... Such a crisis calls for our, for, for our century, for our time. It calls for a spiritual renewal and, and, and renewal of moral leadership. Judah didn't have that clear-sighted, highly motivated leadership. It didn't have a, a, a desire for loving obedience to God. And like Judah, the countries of the Western world, they're wallowing in a mess that they created themselves. All you have to do is read it on the news. Some groups are concerned about injustice, violence, pornography, and crime. But no matter what they do to, 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 to fight it or ban it, 
because it's gotten so, so rampant. You know, read now in some of these places that said defund the police, now they want them back. The crime has gotten so bad, it's so out of control. Now they want to, to get the police back. You know, they, I think it was Oregon who legalized uh, uh, heroin and, and um, I, I can't remember what the other... And now the thing, people are dying. There's so many people dying now because they've made it okay, the so-called legalize it, and now, they, 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 now they're looking to, to turn it back. They don't want it anymore. Sanctuary cities, the ones who claim that, hey, we're a sanctuary city, now they don't want them anymore because it's out of control. You know, you can't, you, you can't destroy standards and morals and think it's going to make things better. You know, God has set laws for a purpose. They're not to, to keep us from enjoying life. They're to keep us from, from having a better life. They keep us from endangering our lives, hurting our lives. Now, even though, you know, again, it, it's, to them, it's, I don't know how it sounds, like, seems so reasonable to them but again it it, they just they create a monster now they can't stop it verses 30 through 31 so i sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that i should not destroy it but i found no one Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Whenever there's a moral and spiritual breakdown and becomes a crisis, which it's going to, a spiritual and moral breakdown, it's going to create a crisis, a spiritual crisis. And whenever there's a moral and spiritual crisis like, like this, that... that gets a hold of a nation, God has searched for even just one individual who would be willing to be used by him to intervene. He found a person, he found such a person in Noah, Moses, Deborah, Daniel, and Ezekiel. But here God was looking for somebody to take the lead and to stand in the gap, to stand in the openings of the wall so that he wouldn't destroy the land. And this pro- proposal was like the one made in Genesis chapter 18 where God promised to spare Sodom and Gomorrah if there were just 10 righteous men there. The situation in Judah was even more serious. God was looking for just one person who was willing to hold back this flood of immorality. He was looking for just man, one man who would stand before him in the gap. This comparison of a breach or hole that was in the wall was chosen because of its obvious warning about the coming fall of Jerusalem. But there was no one who'd respond to God's request, God's plea. Somebody please, you know. So God would pour out his wrath and consume them in his fiery anger, according to verse 31. He couldn't find anybody to stand in the gap. God's plan for reaching the ungodly people and for reaching ungodly nations, is still the same today. God uses godly men and godly women to stand in the gaps in morality and spirituality. He calls them to make the difference 
to make a difference by calling the nation and individuals to to repentance. Calling them to faith and righteousness and, and, and a commitment to God in Jesus Christ. And those who have places of leadership are also doubly responsible. They're responsible for their own lives, but they're also responsible for those, for those that God places under their care. So when those who lead the charge misrepresent God's truth, they're not only deceiving themselves, but they're deceiving others as well. God searched among his people for one person in authority who would stand in the gap so that the the enemy wouldn't get through the wall. And so the enemy wouldn't invade the city, but he didn't find one. The prophet uh, prophet Jeremiah was in Jerusalem, but he was a man with no authority, and he was rejected by politicians, priests, and false prophets alike. Jeremiah himself looked all over the city. In Jeremiah 5, he was looking for a godly man. But his search turned up the same way. Nothing, no one. Isaiah, the same thing. Failed in a similar uh, search in Isaiah chapter 51 and 59. The Lord promised to spare Sodom and Gomorrah if he had found ten righteous men in the city. And he would have spared Jerusalem for one righteous man. So in closing, the Lord is still looking for men and women today who will stand for God's moral law. For men and women who will stand in the gap at the wall and face the enemy with God's help. You know, when you read history, you meet godly men and women who had the courage to do that, to resist the the evils of their day. And to dare, you know, expose the holes in the wall and then try to to plug them up. The Lord is looking for intercessors today. Isaiah 59, 1 through 4 and 16. God is looking for intercessors today who will cry out to God for his mercy and for a return to righteousness. You know, in those times where Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, they they called out for somebody to stand in the gap and none were found. Can you imagine how God must have felt? How disappointed he must have been and must be that his people have time for everything else except intercessory prayer. Thank God he found a man to stand between my sin and the holy God, the Lord Jesus. And God sees those who belong to him in Christ. And we need to be thankful, we should be thankful for the man who stands in the gap for us today. Praise God for his son. But man, may we be men and women who, who will stand in that gap because he will give us the strength and he will give us the help You know, Paul said to to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And we can be. And God won't fail us. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, help us. Lord, help us to see. Father, all that's going on around us, Lord. We saw the the depravity and the wickedness of, of Ezekiel's day. 
And Father, it's no different today. We see the perversion today, God. The depravity. The lack of, of God's standards and the, and the breaking of God's law and, and the disregard for his word, God. And as a result, we see a society in chaos. Leaning upon their own wisdom, upon their own understanding, removing the boundaries that God has set for our safety and for our good. Because they think they know better. They think they're wiser. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. Father, let us turn to Jesus. Let us confess our sins. Let us repent of our sins. And to invite Christ into our life. To give him our life. And to walk with him. And to follow him. All the days of our life. And to thank him for dying on the cross for us. That we can have our sins forgiven. And that we can be born again. And just basically start all over again with a clean slate for God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sunday morning, we'll be back in Ephesians. Uh, <clears throat>